Ashley and I have uh, four babies. We've got um, she's number four, and um, it's been it's been quite an adventure. But parents, you know that when a baby is coming, we go crazy with preparations, don't we? We um, and the things that we don't already buy for ourselves, which is an enormous amount of swag, like we fill up our houses with all sorts of accoutrements and tools in order to help us live life with this new invader, uh, <clears throat> who we love, who we love. We, we, we're very glad that they invaded. But it's almost like you come home from the, from the hospital or the birthing center, or if you're like real... Is the word awesome? Yeah, if you're real awesome, you know, you, you, the, the baby's born in your home, but you come home from the hospital with that baby, and it's almost like you've got a house guest that doesn't know his way out of the door. Like, <laughs> this house guest has come to stay. And so um, we go crazy with preparations. Um, I had no idea how much money you could spend on a stroller. Did you guys know that strollers are now like baby Rolls Royces? They, we, we put them in these comfortable, pushable Cadillacs. And, uh, but Ashley informed me really quickly that what we needed. And, uh, <clears throat> and we prepare our house. We, we clean. We paint. We even remodel at times. And we create a nursery. Because we want to have like this perfect, magical place for our child to safely grow and feel loved, a place for them to become uh, a dreamer. Um, well, you know, God did the same thing with us. But it's, it's called creation. He created the world, and with, with everything he created, he had this thought in mind. Oh, my kids are going to love how the ocean feels when they get in it. They're going to love the sand between their toes. They're going to... They're going to love the feel, the tactile feel of the bark on this beechwood tree. They're, they're going to love the smell of spring and autumn. My kids, oh, he had this in mind with everything he created. He wanted to create a playground, like a nursery for us to explore underneath the confines of, of his authority, the freedom of his authority, I should say. And then after he had everything just right, he created man. He created Adam out of the dust and placed him in paradise and said, you see this, son? It's yours. I, I give you authority. Take dominion of the world. Cultivate this place. Commune with me. And hallelujah, multiply. He, he put, he so loves, um, he so created us in his nature that he gave us the ability to create after our own image like he created after his. Isn't that incredible? And then uh, when a child is old enough to get in trouble, we realize that everything must be baby-proofed immediately. <laughs> we put up cabinet locks door handle covers and baby gates and electrical socket plugs and, 
and we're trying to do anything, protect them from what could possibly happen. I mean, we're adhering our TVs to the walls, and I have this big mirror that I realized, like, if it tipped over, it could really cause some damage, and so I, I hooked it up with a cable and a screw, you know, like, a screw into the wall. That mirror will not tip onto my kids. Like, I, we go around the house, oh, the worst is when you have one of those um, fireplaces that's made out of pure brick, it's like this high. Oh, my kids run by that. And like for the first year, I was like, I seriously was thinking about putting up like pool, like taping pool floaty tubes to like the sharp edge of the bricks. Because I wanted my child to be protected. I didn't, I didn't want Judah to have like a crazy scar across his forehead for the rest of his life. And those precautions were like, were like a babysitter for those times when you might not be watching, you know? And um, I discovered that babies can't do anything for themselves. And when they start to do some things for themselves, they don't do anything right. <laughs> it's just mess after mess after mess after mess after mess. Why? Did we do this to ourselves? You know, we, we often ask this backwards question of the father, and it goes something like this. You, you've, you've heard some version of this question at some point in your life. Why would a good father, why would a good God create people who are going to go through horrible things? Why do good people have bad things happen to them? And really, I, I believe that question is in complete reverse. Because I've never met anyone who could cause me so much pain as my own child. Seriously, think about the, the most painful moment that, that anyone could go through. It's, it's the loss of a child or a child goes off the, the deep end or he's into drugs and you never know if he's going to come back or, you know, just no one can cause you as much anguish, anxiety, or pain as your own child, right? So I believe the question should actually be Why would God create someone who could cause him so much pain? It's love. There's no more powerful force in the universe than love. His love had to have the object of his love. And when love finds the object of its love, it will do anything to show its love to its beloved, won't it? Won't he? One time, uh, Judah, our firstborn, he, uh, he was taking a nap. And at this stage in his life, he had like an influx of crazy amounts of energy. Does anyone know that that happens to boys at some point? 
they become unstoppable forces of nature within your home at like a certain number of months old they switch from being cuddly to like crazy <clears throat> well judah had entered this stage but he was taking a nap and um i missed the cuddle days you know he he must have been like eight nine months old uh something like that but he always used to just collapse in my arms, you know, and let me hold him and snuggle him. But then like that influx of energy came and he did not want to be snuggled anymore. But after nap time, when he was still sleepy and tired, he let me, he would let us hold him. He just wanted to be held. And so um, I was walking down the hallway while Judah was taking his nap and I smelled something alarming indicating that the food that we had fed him had successfully passed through his healthy digestion system. It, I mean, the aroma filled the hallway. He had, his system functioned well. <clears throat> and so I, I knew that his nap was over and that something else had happened. And so I, I opened the door and it, the smell is even more intense. <clears throat> Has anyone ever watched those hilarious videos of fathers trying to change diapers? And like every time they open, it's... <laughs> it's hilarious. You got to check them out. Well, I was similar to that. It took me like six months to get rid of the gag reflex. Um, but the smell just hit me. And But Judah, he, his head pops up over the edge of his crib. He's got this big smile on his face. Dad! And I think, oh, it's snuggle time. <laughs> it's snuggle time. Oh, the smell. And I don't care about the smell because it's my snuggle time. And so I'm the quintessential, like, overly affectionate father. I scoop Judah up out of that crib, and I hold him, and he just lets me hold him. And he, he just, you know, relaxes onto my shoulder, and the smell is definitely there but I don't care because I get to hold him in this moment and he won't wiggle or squirm or try to get away from me. And I'm the dad. Like, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to change his diaper and he's going to smell good again. And, you know, Judah, even when you change the diaper, they're fighting you. It's like they want to be in this filth, Right? I mean, they're grabbing at the diaper, they're grabbing at the white, they're just making them, they're trying to make the biggest mess possible. They really want you to call Dalworth carpet cleaners again. <clears throat> Four times a year, people, we get our carpets professionally cleaned. Count the cost. <laughs> and um, I felt the presence of the Lord come, and I began to cry because I realized that um, there have been so many times when I had made a mess with my life. My life was stinky. Things that I'd, I'd, I had soiled everything that I had touched. I'd made a mess with my life. And all God wanted to do was hold me. And all he wanted, he, I mean, God is, he's our father. He knew that he was going to be the one to clean up my mess. And I would probably be kicking and like screaming 
through it, but he just wanted snuggle time. And it doesn't matter what kind of mess we've made with our lives. Papa is coming close to pick us up and hold us. And if we would let him, the cleanup process would be a lot easier. So after, um, after Adam and Eve, you know, God's first son and daughter had made a big mess, <clears throat> um, it was almost as if God had to put child protective gear all over the planet. It's called the curse. And the, the law entered in a way where it, it became like a babysitter, right? We know from, from Romans that the law is actually a babysitter until Christ comes. And, and so we have um, earth, which was like this perfect paradise where they could like, they could throw a seed on the ground, spit on it, and this incredible tree would grow. You know, you know what I mean? Like everything worked great in the Garden of Eden, but now, uh, after they'd sinned, they, they take on this sin nature, and God speaks over the earth and says, you're going to produce thorns and thistles, and, and, you're, and you guys, you're going to have to work really hard to get that earth to produce anything. Because it was, it was almost as if earth had to adjust to the new fallen sin nature of Adam and Eve and create these thorns to protect itself. When you meet someone prickly, what does that mean? It means that they have like a, a spirit of self-preservation. They don't want anyone to get close and so they put up thorned gates so that no one can get to the soft spot in their heart. That's what, that's what those thorns were on the earth. It, a spirit of self-preservation and protection came. And it came on Adam and Eve too. There is enmity. There is striving. There is misunderstanding. And everyone got prickly. And the thorns grew. I looked this up on the internet and um, Israel the Holy Land, uh, which is probably really close to where the Garden of Eden was at some point. It was said of, of this place that travelers call the Holy Land a land of thorns, giant thistles growing to the height of a man on horseback, frequently spread over regions once rich and fruitful, and many of the most interesting historic spats and ruins are rendered almost inaccessible by thickets of fiercely armed buckthorns. Those thorns took off, didn't they? I know um, friends who've tried hard to, to have children um, and only to face, you know, the, the heartbreak of, of waiting and not knowing what's going on. And um, there's a place of comfort in scripture that you can find in the, in the story of Abraham and, and Sarah or Abram and Sarai. Um, they tried decades to get pregnant. And this was in an age 
where fertility meant more than just having a baby. It was a sign of blessing. Um, they, had, they had no fertility clinics. They had no in vitro fertilization. They just had a promise from God. And then comes along the day that Sarah really does get pregnant with Isaac. And um, in Genesis 20, 21, Isaac, this child of promise is born. And then this, um, this famous verse in Genesis 22, 2 comes along as well. And um, this, this has always stood out to me as something very bizarre because the very first time that love is mentioned in the Bible, the book of love is 22 chapters and two verses in. Genesis 22.2, and this is the verse. It says, Abraham, take Isaac, the son whom you love, and sacrifice him. This is the child of promise they had waited so long for. But at this stage in Abraham's life, he had developed a history with God that he knew He knew the heart of his father in heaven so well that even if they did plunge a knife into Isaac, God would devise a way to bring him back from the dead. He knew the heart of the father so well that God would, he would provide something. God would provide something. And so Abram gets up early in the morning and he, and he takes Isaac up to the the mountain for um, the sacrifice and Isaac is noticing, hey, there's no uh, lamb or ram. And, uh, and they get up there, and you know, you know the moment that Abraham is about to prove his faithfulness and trust in the Lord. He's got that knife up, and he's about to plunge it into his son. And the angel of the Lord says, stop. Abraham looks, and what does he see? A ram with his horns stuck in thorns. See, Jesus, he was already getting inside the curse for us. It's in Acts, I believe it's seven, that it actually says that it was a a thorn bush that this spotless male ram had his thorn his horns hooked into and that became the sacrifice the stand-in for Isaac and then Moses you know the story about him he uh He's supposed to be the deliverer of the, the nation of Israel when Israel got itself in trouble again. And, and the, the way that Moses gets called to be the deliverer is there's a bush that's burning. And Moses turns aside to see this. And this, this is actually the verse out of Acts 7.35. We find out that Moses is looking at a thorn bush. A burning bush that would not be consumed from which the presence of God was speaking. And there we see God inside that curse again. And then, of course, Jesus comes along as our true stand in 
and the sacrifice that's going to pay for the sins of creation, the sins of all of humanity. Jesus, the spotless ram. Male lamb is a ram. He's a spotless ram. And what gets shoved onto his head before he gets to that cross? The thorns. See, Jesus was always planning on undoing it for us. He knew the moment that he spoke that curse over Adam and Eve, that every word that came out of his mouth, he was going to be the one to carry. That every sin, every pain, every iniquity, every, all the result, the full weight of the curse, everything that came out of his mouth, he was going to be the one to undo for us. He was always in the curse because he wanted to prove his great love for us. How else would we ever be convinced and stop accusing a good God of creating men to suffer? How else would we ever stop accusing God? Except that we see him suffer for us and carry the full weight of that curse. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't just become a curse. He became the curse. He dismantled it. And now thorns don't grow in our hearts anymore. He is a good good father. He knew that just like I knew about Judah, Judah could never clean up that mess that he made. He knew that we could never clean up our own mess. And from the beginning, he devised a plan to get us out of it and redeem us. Why don't we all stand? We're going to thank Jesus for his great love and mercy and sacrifice together. If there's anyone in here who felt um, a tugging on the heart, you know that scene in uh, Chronicles of Narnia where uh, Lucy and, and uh, Susan and the rest of the gang, Peter, they're about to get pulled out of a train station into Narnia, and they said that they felt a tugging, a pulling. It felt like deep magic. I want you guys to know right now that if you're feeling that tugging inside of you, the Lord is trying to pull you into a new place. He's trying to bring you into his kingdom. And it's a lot like Narnia, where you are a child who knows how to rule. You're a child who gets trained in the ways of royalty. And if you've never heard anyone, uh, if, you've, if you've today heard um, the message of Jesus in a way where you, you now believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. If, if you believe in Jesus from, from that tugging, from that presence of the Lord, then I want you to put your hand up because I want to welcome you into my family. It's okay, you can be super brave. I was a 
blubbering mess the first time I had faith enter my heart. Awesome. Everybody brought, brought saved family members today. <clears throat> now, if, um, if you do want to come forward and talk to me about Jesus or talk to any of the leadership, we're, we're up here and we want to pray with you. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your salvation. We ask that we would walk in the joy of it. We would walk in the joy of salvation. Jesus, you fought an army to get us a present. And when we opened that present inside of it, we found our joy. So I ask right now that that joy would invade our hearts again. You would destroy every bit of anxiety and every thorn that has still tried to hold on. Every, every thorn bush that has tried to hold on. I ask that you would uproot it in our hearts. And you'd show us just how good you are. Good, good Father. I ask that this church would be blessed with wisdom and revelation, deep friendships with each other, deep friendships in their families, and deep friendship with you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.